0: G'day legends, legendaries, welcome to another episode of Generation Get To It, a sugar hit of positivity and health for you to get the most out of yourself to inspire this generation and the next. Make sure you like and subscribe so you can get the latest episodes and also to share the word so we can get more people improving in their lives too. So what an exciting episode, probably the best one yet. Why? Because my mum's on it. You know what? I brought in the, only the big guns, the ones I know are going to deliver and my mum's a bloody good psychologist, clinical psychologist. She has been working in the industry for a long time. We're gonna go into it, we're gonna explore all all about the differences you can make in your life and your child's life by being more mindful, by being more conscious and aware of what you're doing and what you're saying in your day-to-day life. And really just making the most of the time that you have with each other. I think that's one of the most amazing things to do. So. Listen to the episode. It's about half an hour long. It's super exciting. Let's get to it. All right. G'day, legends, legendaries. So today I've got uh, the special brought-in specialist, um, probably the most important person you hear on this podcast. Um, Name's Judy Picard. So Judy is work, has been working as a clinical psychologist for the last 23 years, has been working with mostly adolescent and adult mental health. Currently, she's a senior lecturer at the University of Wollongong, specializing in parent-child therapy and also mindfulness. And most importantly, she's also my mum. So welcome. i George. <laughs> um, so as if I've just said, so mum, or oh, Judy, has recently completed the last uh, kind of years working on a lot of research, which has been the start of a 20-year study which I'm sure we'll go into at kind of some point and and mention. But um, most importantly, yeah, she's a wealth of knowledge and it's a pleasure to have on this uh, podcast. So, Judy, can you please tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do?
1: Okay. So I guess um, I'm a clinical psychologist. um, So I've been working mostly in adult mental health as a clinician for um, probably about 18 years prior to moving over here to the university. Um, So I guess... Working within the um, mental health service, and so working with moderate to severe mental health issues for a number of years um, for both adults and um, adolescents. Um, And since coming over to the uni, well, I guess I I completed my PhD in 2017, looking at um, parent child development and essentially the the transmission of attachment and mental health across generations. Um, And since then, coming to the uni, My teaching has been in the professional psychology program. So training future clinical psychologists um, and really focusing on research in both mindfulness um, as well as um, parent-child relationships. Um, So the kind of key factors that affect parent-child relationships and and child development, as well as um, trialing and intervention for um, I guess improving outcomes.
0: Okay. Interesting. So a lot of it is based around obviously doing little things now to make a, a bigger difference later in terms of absolutely relationship building, things like that. Okay. Mm. Interesting. So why why did you, you obviously had a lot of uh, experience working with, you know, probably many populations over your, your 23 years, but why did you find that, you know, this other uh, 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 adolescent and, and parent-child therapy and, and all this kind of uh populations which which work a lot together but also quite young in mind why did you find that these were the areas mm. you wanted to focus on
1: yeah well i guess um working in the adult mental health service i saw a lot of people who had who had had who were experiencing severe mental health health concerns um and really had had very difficult childhoods for a ver- mm. variety of reasons um, difficult life experiences and What I I guess what we kind of come to realise is that it's very difficult for um, people to recognise change in their environment in terms of they've had difficult experiences growing up and now's a different time and place. And yet because of what we carry forward from those experiences and the way that we look at the world, it can make it really difficult to bring about change and recognise healthy relationships and other ways of relating rather than the ones that have been developed from the past, as well as, I guess, moving on from preconceived ideas about how you expect yourself to be in the world and how you expect others to be with you. And so I guess my research then really became about how do we effectively bring about change for people? And mindfulness became a really key interest area for me in working clinically um, in terms of helping people to take in their new experiences and to learn new things about themselves, about how they are relating to other people and and skills that they actually have or or strengths that they have that they haven't necessarily been aware of in the past um, and can develop, as well as how actually people can be relating to them differently and they can expect different and more positive things moving forward. So my research then really became about how do we interrupt that history to bring about change?
0: Interesting. Okay. Very fascinating. Because like you use mindfulness and mindfulness is definitely a word and a, and a term that people are coming into grips with a lot more recently. Um, as as obviously kind of trends go on, some some leave, some stay, but it seems like mindfulness has been really pushing forward consistently over the last few years. And I remember ages ago, uh you went to a mindfulness um Doing a course or camping, and I think it was in Bali. Like, mm-hmm, must have right. been like fifteen. It was like a long time ago, <laughs> ten years ago or something. Um, so it's amazing to see. Obviously, what you've learned back then has really kind of progressed and moving to something that can be a really big change uh, in in the lives of you know young people and older people. Um, and like I said, interrupts the kind of the mental health that can exist from a childhood from childhood.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and I guess the thing about mindfulness is it has this kind of pop culture kind of I guess image in terms of it's all about being zen or it's about colouring books or breathing and it is those things and yet it's much more than those things. So it is just essentially being in the moment and being able to recognise and take in the information from the moment because that's where we can be most effective. That's when we can notice what's actually happening around us we can make The most effective decisions as to how to respond to them. So, for example, someone who's had a history of um, not being able to trust in relationships, it's difficult for them to take in new information regarding the new relationships and you know, how do we know this person is trustworthy and how do I know that I'm being accepted, for example. And yet we need to be in the present moment to notice, to notice those things and to choose different behaviours.
0: Okay, so that's Obviously, consequence of not being mindful and, and more self-aware. Mm-hmm. So, if you could kind of break down the very like kind of uh, foundation of mindfulness and just kind of like go into you know a bit more about what are the issues or consequences that are surrounding um, not being mindful uh, throughout obviously your own personal life, but in reflecting on the the lives of your um, children as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess mindfulness is really about um, being aware in the present moment about, I guess, what's unfolding, so your experiences, but also um, the so all the senses of things that are happening around you, of being aware of that you're having thoughts about them and yet you're aware that they're even thoughts rather than that they are the actual experience, um, and being able to notice those without judgement. Okay, So we bring our preconceived ideas in when we judge things, but we can notice them without judgment and then choose how we respond to them. So it's it's kind of about bringing curiosity to a moment too of like noticing and, and understanding and being aware of it without actually, I guess, jumping to a conclusion straight away about it. Um, I've forgotten what the second part of it was for you, but how, how, can you, how can you use that in the present moment? Well, I guess part of it is that... Um, we often kind of bring our our history into the moment, in, in it as a quick way of interpreting what's happening for us, right? And so it, you know, we've had experiences before, and they help us to make sense of what's happening in this current moment. But what we can tend to do is over rely on that, and just respond to things as though it is what it was in the past as well, and then our behaviour is affected by that. So I could walk into a situation and think. Um, I don't know, that I don't fit in here, right, because I've had that experience in the past of I don't fit in or I don't know who to talk to, this is really awkward, that sort of thing. So I could bring that into the moment, walking into a room full of people and have that thought and and assume that the same thing's going to happen and then my behaviour would be affected by that so I might withdraw into the corner or I might leave altogether. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I can bring my awareness into the moment, I can notice, oh, that's a thought that I'm having Rather than the fact of the situation, and I can notice what's happening in the situation. So I could notice that maybe someone is trying to make eye contact with me and invite me into a conversation, and then I can respond more effectively to that.
0: Okay, so if you were not, if you were acting in judgment at that point, like you brought bring in those those preconceived ideas, say for example, if someone was making eye contact to you. And you brought in those preconceived ideas. You would be thinking maybe they're judging me or looking at me, yeah. And not, you know, kind of sussing me out and not actually thinking about the more rational thoughts. Like you're saying, like that actually might be introducing you to or wanting to bring you into the conversation and actually kind of make you feel welcome.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I could, I could definitely go down the path the path of a different thought of they're wondering why I'm here. They're they're hmm. thinking I don't fit in or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess that um, exists a lot because I just remember, obviously, like when you're in when high school and, and things like that, when a lot of identities from kids are starting to come out and, you you know, you're really unsure and you're only, you know, 12, 13 years old. And for a lot of kids, they also can come out and they're quite kind of comfortable with where they are. But for a lot of people, they, you know, being told what to do by a teacher can can bring out some really kind of chaotic emotions and mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of people become very self-conscious or, or act out in anger. So would that kind of make sense in terms of like the way that kind of someone is brought up through their their childhood from their parents, from from the parents' previous experiences are going to impact the way that they are perceived in a new situation as well?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I, I guess is probably the most important thing for parent-child relationships early on is that the parent, the availability and accessibility of the of the parent to the child is really important in terms of creating a sense of safety and helping the child to learn how to regulate their emotions. And so if, for example, a parent's kind of carrying their own history with them, then it may be that they are struggling to, I guess, stay regulated themselves in a situation or to, or to be available to their child. And, and really what a child, I guess, needs is is the parent to help them understand their experiences. So if a, if a child is distressed and crying, like a, an infant, when a parent picks it up and cuddles it and tries to soothe it, the child learns that this emotion is worth being cared for um, and, that, and that the emotion will pass. It can be comforted and it, and it can pass. It's not bigger than them. Okay, and so that gets carried forward in terms of over time the child learns how to soothe themselves and how to regulate their own emotions. And so if you think about like moving forward into peer relationships, that those skills of learning how to regulate emotions and being able to tolerate them and to know that they'll pass and to be able to stay present and interact with others is, is a really important skill that has started early on and then gets carried forward into being able to then manage relationships as well.
0: Okay, um, I just want to go back a little bit to when you were talking about a parent being available or creating mm-hmm. safety for the child. What does that, what does that mean?
1: Available means that, that I guess the child can go to that parent. Okay. okay. If the child's scared, they can go to the parent, that they know that if they're in a room and a stranger enters the room, that they can race back to their parent and be safe again, that the parent will be there to respond to them. okay Okay. and and essentially that's you know when you think about children first um, developing them that's often what we see happen is that the child can play really comfortably by by the parent's side and move away from the parent when they feel safe but the moment they start to feel unsafe again they'll come back to the parent so for example when it when a stranger or someone else comes into the room and so that availability of of, you know in those sorts of situations but also if you know there's other things that are stressing for the child like that they fall over and they get hurt. That they can turn to their parent and be comforted by the parent. That sort of thing.
0: Okay, because I just I find it fascinating because I feel natu- naturally as a human, if someone, like especially your kid, is going to be in dis- in distress and is really going to be, you know, struggling to kind of comprehend what's going on, I feel like we're always going to kind of lead towards helping them. But I feel like it kind of goes a little bit deeper because not every situation is going to be as traumatising as the one where they, like, really hurt themselves when we will actually go see them. But are there kind of, like, small things you can do every day or, you know, that will make, make them feel more, that you are more available and that they are safe for anything that you can do?
1: Yeah, so so it does seem like a simple thing, but remember that we all bring in our own histories to how we interact with others. And so for a parent, they may have grown up in an environment where... They were told to just get over their distress and uh, to they're okay and move on. And so if their child comes to them in distress, they may not necessarily, I guess, be comfortable in in kind of responding to that emotion, despite their best intentions. And so the same message may be transmitted to their child. And so it doesn't have this sense of availability. So there is that. I guess so. So the important thing in the just the simple things in the everyday is about recognizing and taking time to to wonder what is happening for your child. Like what is what is it that they're communicating to me at this time? So if they're crying or if they're acting out in some way, it's not necessarily that they're just trying to annoy me or be difficult, but there might be something. They might be scared or they might be tired or they might have had a really bad day at school and they just need someone to actually stop and listen to them and, and wonder what it is that's happening for them. And I think that's this, that's the probably one of the most important thing is kind of wondering, wondering what's happening for your child rather than just assuming that they know. <laughs> so being curious.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So you're saying the old school method of telling them to get over it is not exactly the best approach?
1: No, it's definitely not what we advocate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I uh, I, feel, I, feel, I beg to differ, and I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, interesting. Well, definitely what I've noticed from coaching kids for a long time is that you have some parents which are very much like, go on, get up, get moving, like, you know, toughen up and stuff like that. And then and you have the other the other parents who are very, like, comforting uh, and compassionate and will kind of, like, you know, let their kid come to... Um, after that, you know they've been they've hurt or injured or have had a really tough game, and um, yeah, I definitely remember when I was younger and and had uh, tough games and uh, injuries and stuff like that. It's obviously nice to have have you and dad for me, for me as well. I do remember mm-hmm. when I tore my um, ligament in my knee, spending a couple couple of weeks in the lounge, and obviously having you to kind of look after me, which was very very lovely. So I think it definitely <laughs> reflects into the way I kind of approach coaching kids now. Like I I kind of see the way that you approach me and even I can reflect on how to kind of like show compassion and and ensure there's like my availability to to the kids that I coach and I believe that it kind of gives them an extra source of safety so they don't have to like go back to just their parent and they can understand that there are more people out there that are going to be available for them and and give them more confidence in that.
1: Yeah, and that's an important point that... When, when kids have the experience of someone paying attention to them and being compassionate and caring for them, then they ex- can go into other situations and expect that. So if they get hurt at school, they know that they can reach out and ask someone to help them rather than having to go and hide in the corner or, or, or respond angrily in some way. So that like they, they actually can ask for support and that's an important part for all of us. Um, the other thing is like, when we experience compassion, we can—it's kind of fostering self-compassion. So it's communicating to someone that they are worthy of being cared for, and that and that care is a positive thing, and it actually helps recovery and growth. You know, if someone's lying on the ground and we kick them, they're not likely to get up. Whereas we, if we sit next to them and pat them on the shoulder and and mm-hmm. give them time to breathe, then they can get up. Right, and so it's like learning to internalise that self-compassion and carry that forward. And I think if parents can be self-compassionate about themselves, like their own experiences, like what they might be struggling with, how difficult parenting can be, then they model that for their child in terms of help, I guess, forgiving yourself for your imperfections and your, and your humanness um, and knowing that you can take care of it.
0: Okay, well, I really wanted to go into that because... Um... As we've spoken about before, and I've said many times that you know to truly love or respect someone else, you have to truly love and respect yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you just mentioned then about parents being able to be compassionate and show humanness to themselves, which for a lot of people just blow their mind that they don't mm-hmm. have to give everything to their partner or their kid, but actually giving something back to themselves. So, what is that? What do you mean by that? And what is what can people do to practice that?
1: Well, I, I guess it, it's kind of giving to ourselves what we would probably quite naturally give to others in terms of like allowing yourself to take a breath and say, OK, this is really hard. OK, what do I need right now? And that's an important thing, like asking yourself, what do I need right now? And most often I don't need to be kicked. What I do need is, is a bit of time, a bit of care, a bit of loving kindness, um, and then I can think about how I move forward. So, you know, if I'm struggling, say at work, and, you know, I'm trying to write something and, you know, the words, I'm not finding the words and I'm really struggling, then criticizing myself for not being a good writer is not going to help me write. But thinking about, okay, what do I need right now? And it might be, I just need to take a break or I just need to do some breathing or something I need to do that is then going to put me in a better position to do it. And essentially okay. that's how we all grow.
0: Okay, so actually giving yourself some time to look up yourself and yeah. showing yourself that you deserve a few minutes to yourself if you need to, that actually is going to encourage growth?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like allowing yourself, allowing that person on the ground to get up rather than kicking.
0: Okay, interesting. Even when it's yourself, amazing. Um, <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, so when you are doing, you know, your your mindfulness and parent-child therapy, what are some of the the kind of foundations that you look for in creating that, uh, you know, that safe and available environment and making sure that, you know, that there is a strong connection between both the child and the parent?
1: So the therapy that we run here at the university is really based on play therapy and we provide coaching to the parents and life coaching to the parents while they're playing with their child. Um, and it's really about turning the attention to the child and letting the child lead the play interaction and providing, I guess, encouragement, so lots of specific praise and um, about what they're doing, um, getting involved with them, being curious with them, um, and I guess just helping them to experience that their parents like them, enjoy them and, and like what they're doing, I think is, is really important rather than questioning them about what they're doing next or why they haven't done this or, or what about this idea? It's like, let the child lead and, and, and be interested in them.
0: Interesting. And so do you think this, so, so what ages are you doing this play therapy with at the moment? Um,
1: Ages two to 10.
0: Two to 10. Okay. And so, what kind of changes do you see throughout those age groups when you're looking at the two-year-old compared to the 10-year-old?
1: Um, well, I, guess, I guess they're similar and different. <laughs> similar in terms of it's very much focused on helping the parent to stay regulated emotionally so they can regulate their child because if a child becomes dysregulated um, and then the parent becomes reactive to that, then it just amps the child up further. So what we want to do is help the parent to stay calm so that they can help their child to calm down and and promote positive behaviour. So that works across all the age groups. I guess with the younger ones, um, we're just helping to, well, I guess foster their curiosity and foster their self-efficacy. And again, that's with the older age groups too, although I guess with the older age groups, we're also looking at helping them to develop more of collaborative play um, and and kind of learning how to negotiate. One of the other things we do is helping them to tell stories. And so, you know, really kind of developing this the structure for parents and then kids about how to be able to tell a story about what's happened for the child so that when the child comes home from school and looks upset or is kicking their bag down the hallway, then the parent can kind of sit with them and say, tell me about your day and kind of yeah. work through it that way and understand, well, maybe something in their day was distressing for them
0: okay interesting and so being able to understand that will help you to find out more about the day and how to kind of work through any emotions that they will be kind of facing at the current time
1: and helping helping the child to understand the emotions that they're experiencing and to process that and to then be able to I guess work through how to recover from that and that's an important thing, you know. We might be doing it with ages two to ten at the moment, but you know, that sets up the kind of foundation for when they're adolescents in being able to come home and tell their parents about things as well.
0: Mm. Well, that kind of leads me into that 20-year study that you completed the first, was it four or five years of? The one with the when you with the birth mother pre-birth. Yeah. Uh, yes. You know. Yeah. 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 So what kind of research are we doing? during that time and what are you expecting the outcomes to show in 20 years?
1: Uh, so I, I guess what we've been looking at is is really about the attachment relationship. So yeah. understanding the parent's history and and what the parents um have, how the experiences of the parent as they were growing up and being parented um, and how they kind of carry that forward with their, with their own child in terms of what it brings up for them in their parenting, how it might actually, I guess, affect how they, how they interact with their child and how their child responds to them, how they, how they help um, their child express their emotions, those sorts of things. Um, yeah. And also we, we kind of look at the things that will help change. So, you know, mindfulness is one key part of that is recognising, like, despite our histories, if we can be present in the moment, does that help us to parent differently? Or parent okay. effectively? Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um so on that, what are you know some some general practices do you think that or principles that you find would be, you know, really beneficial for parents to start undertaking, you know, right now that's nice and easy and simple to get into that they can actually use to you know, start interrupting those, those those poor poor patterns and and start acting more non-judgmentally in their life.
1: Yeah. So, well, I guess that's what essentially what you've just said is a kind of non-judgmentally is is a big one. And so, really um, helping parents to understand that the the importance of start helping them to be regulated and helping them to be effective in the moment to be able to make choices that are really in line with their values of parenting, you know. So we all get caught up in our busy lives and get caught up in the mill, and we, and we can get so caught up doing those things that we forget what's actually important and, and what sort of parent we want to be. And so really kind of taking that time to take care of themselves, um, you know, some mindfulness practice or, or things that are actually going to help them to stay more present in the moment and to notice what's going on but also then to help them regulate their own emotions and act with compassion towards themselves and then their child.
0: Great. Amazing. Well, to finish, kind of to lead into what we're going to finish off with, um, personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what was something that you've obviously kind of like taken out of growing up with uh, in, your, in your family, what your parents did that you really kind of took? out of it and wanted to obviously kind of teach to us to me and uh me and the girls
1: yeah um so I guess I guess something that you know always really stands out for me is that every family is its own culture um and there's a really nice familiarity about that and it makes things within your family feel very normal um and that's a positive and a negative, because sometimes things that aren't necessarily healthy or helpful can be normalized, and, and so exactly. we kind of always want to keep an eye out for that. Um, but I, I, so I guess there's always acceptance of that every family is different and every family has its own culture. But I guess the thing that stood out for me as um, growing up was that despite my parents not necessarily agreeing with everything I did and potentially being quite conservative and <laughs> <laughs> um there was always this sense that they were there at the end of the day like that there was no question about that that there was absolute acceptance of they might not agree with what i've done but they were always there and they would always um stand behind me i guess or and stand up for me if i need that too mm. Mm. I like and i that. think that's really important
0: yeah absolutely um it's yeah, when you first started talking, there was one thing that stood out um, that you've spoken about, about obviously what Nanam and Pop did at the time. And that was, like I said, always being there no matter what. So mm. you mentioned that was obviously, uh, you mentioned that years ago, but I still remember it now of how important that is. And, you know, it's, it's, um, also there's nothing better than having someone behind you. So mm. it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, um, well, first of all, we'll finish off. What was something that you think <laughs> uh, kind of have definitely taken out of um, or kind of evolved over time that you think has is, is come from somewhere where you may not have thought I would actually kind of grow out of, but over time i kind of
1: <laughs> moved on with? <laughs> um, oh, I, guess, I guess something that I've noticed that has definitely developed for you is perspective and I think that's you know a developmental task that everyone takes on anyway but it's really nice to see it play out in your own kids in terms of you know being young and thinking that and the world's only very small and that's the way you see the world and um and so and so I guess then there's kind of less flexibility in what's okay and what's not okay or what your expectations are and then as you've grown up, you've definitely grown, you know, you've travelled lots and you've spoken to lots of different people and that's something that's fantastic, I think, that I notice in you is you do talk to a lot of different people and take Mm. in and kind of curious about other people. Mm. And and so I think your perspective of the world has really broadened in terms of just being much more flexible and not fixed on there's one concrete way of being or doing or where you live or anything like that, Mm. which is really nice.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely um, agree with that. I do remember being a teenager and thinking I'd never leave Shalavahead heads <laughs> <And that laughs> It was God's country and there was no reason I should leave because no else is better. <laughs> and, and I remember within about maybe a week of leaving <laughs> that, <laughs> that I was definitely... Uh, definitely in the wrong mindset with that one (laughs) and now obviously traveled a lot around the world and and live in different places and continue to understand that um yeah perspective is definitely something which you don't really uh like i said understand in one moment but over time i think it slowly rubs on you and when you meet different people and then you know go to different places and really start understanding people's stories about why they do things and and how, you know, even we can improve from, um you know, every single conversation that we have and mm. what mm. else we can pick up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's been a pleasure being the golden child for all these years. Um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the girls will agree.
1: <laughs> you want to get me in trouble here. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a risk. I'll, I'll, I'll cut the other to Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on, and um, yeah, it's amazing to see obviously the work that you're doing and what you can do over the the next you know next few years and the next what we can do with the students that you have as well. I think it's yeah. such a great a uh, so privilege to have to be able to teach people and have the career that you've had um, over all these years and um, achievements. So yeah. well done, no, very no, very
1: lucky. I feel very privileged.
0: <laughs>
1: Thank you. All
0: uh, right. Well, thanks for thanks for the chat.